seem like a pretty elementary prayer, but it contains all the elements of a deep faith in God. And we pray this prayer uh, every single Sunday here at Armstrong. Um, so especially if you've been coming here for a while, maybe it's grown a little stale for you. Uh, maybe you've been saying it your entire life and, and you don't even think about what you're saying to God when you pray it. So if that's you, my, my hope this morning is that by exploring the Lord's Prayer phrase by phrase, that we would encounter God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, in a new way and develop a renewed appreciation for this prayer that should never grow old for us. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and open our Bibles uh, to Matthew 6, especially if you brought your Bible. If you did not bring your Bible, there are Bibles in front of you in your pews. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you uh, today. Um, and uh, you can even pull, pull it up on your phone. I won't be offended, and I'll trust you're not texting your friends. Um, so uh, let's open our Bibles um, and uh, walk through this prayer together this morning. Um, so the Lord's Prayer, uh, more or less, has uh, two movements. Uh, the first three phrases have to do with, with God and God's glory, and the second three phrases have to do with our needs. Um, and this is really important because oftentimes we might only approach God with our needs, not even acknowledging who we're approaching, right? Sometimes it's, it's really easy to kind of slip into uh, approaching God in prayer kind of like a spiritual ATM. And so the only prayers you might pray during a given day are, hey God, can you help me with this? Uh, hey God, can you help me with that? And that's okay, right? Like, we don't always have to, you know, stop whatever we're doing and pray to God. But when we do, when we do stop and pray to God and address Him, instead of just jumping straight into our needs, we first need to acknowledge the God that we're praying to. And that's what Jesus talks about in the first half of the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus says, this then is, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now I just want to stop right there and let that phrase sink into our souls this morning. That God is our Father in heaven. Now, maybe you had a, a great dad growing up, so this is a, a comforting image for you. But maybe you had a terrible dad. And uh, maybe, maybe your dad wasn't around. So this image evokes maybe either anger or fear. And if that's you, it's, it's important to remember that, that God is our heavenly Father and not our earthly one. So Jesus referring to, to God as our heavenly Father separates him from all earthly fathers and, and carries a whole different meaning. Because our heavenly Father's love for us is immense and unstoppable. As a father myself, the, the greatest love that I could ever show to my two sons would only be a fraction of the great love that God has for us. Not only did God create us in His own image, but when His creation turned against Him, He continued to pursue us in love by sending us His own Son to die on a cross so that we might have life. God's love for us runs deep. And it's this loving, persistent, gracious Father who meets us in the midst of our sin when we're children of the world, bruised and crushed by its brokenness, and He takes our hands, brushes us off, and says, you're mine now. I love you. Jesus coming to earth was the Father reaching out to us in our brokenness. The greatest act of love ever displayed for humanity. 
This is the Father we worship. And this Father wants nothing more than a relationship with us. When the Pharisees asked Jesus which commandment was the greatest, how did He respond? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. So our relationship with God isn't simply about following all the rules before God will love us. It's about offering God our hearts first, because that's what God truly wants. Unfortunately, there, there are many who don't get that kind of love from their fathers. A lot of people grew up with dads who maybe were never happy with, with anything they did, and they, they constantly felt like they had to earn their father's approval. When maybe all they wanted was just a hug or to hear, I'm proud of you. I love you. But that's not how it is with our Heavenly Father. God wants our hearts before our hands. He wants us to keep His commandments because we love Him, not because we fear Him. As 1 John 4, 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is what? Love. God is love. This picture of, of God as a, a loving Father gives us a, a sense of God's imminence or nearness to us. You see, God is, is not just some cosmic watchmaker who, who takes a set-it-and-forget-it approach to creation, but the picture of God the Scripture provides us with is a, a God who cares deeply about us and involves Himself in our affairs time and time again. Now, it's, it's true that God is, is imminent, but let me just talk about a pet peeve of mine for a second, um, and that is that God is our Father, but God is not our Daddy, like some people like to say. All right, you might have heard this before, uh, that the word Jesus used for, for Father loosely translate to, to Daddy. But that's simply not true. Um, Abba was the word that Jesus used, which means Father, and it was used by both children and adults in his culture, and it simply means Father. And I say this because to call God Daddy is to kind of trivialize God's majesty and glory, which leads us to Jesus' next statement in the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means honored, revered, respected. God is our Father, but He is also God of the entire cosmos. Right? There is, there is power in God's name. God is our Father, but, but let us not forget that this is the same God before whom the very angels cover their faces because they cannot even view Him in their full splendor. This is the same God that the prophet Isaiah caught a glimpse of and could do nothing but fall on his face and exclaim, Woe is me, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips among a nation of unclean lips. After just catching a glimpse of God. This is the same God that covered Moses in the cleft of the rock when he passed by, telling him that no one could see his face and live. God is holy, and his name is mighty. Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 6 and 7, tells of the power of God's name. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For that is your due. Among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. So we approach God with, with warmth because He is our Father. But we don't approach God with a flippant warmth. 
Matt Chandler, the pastor of the Village Church in, in Texas, explains it in, in terms of the mere respect that, that animals command. Okay, so imagine I, I come over to your house, um, and you have a chihuahua named Diesel. And Diesel thinks he's a tough guy. All right, so, so I, I walk in your door, and this little guy is just going nuts, like he's going to rip my toenail off or something, right? And I, I'll probably look at him, and I'll be like, oh, that's cute, you know. All right, but imagine the same scenario... And you have a German shepherd named Blitz that you imported from Germany. All right? And you open the front door, and this guy's going nuts. I'm probably going to take a step back, maybe even out onto your porch, because I don't want him to rip my face off. Right? So if, if we show that kind of respect for a dog, how much more respect should we be showing for the creator of heaven and earth? And that leads us to the next phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Okay, your kingdom come in updated English, right? We always pray the Lord's Prayer in, in King James, but uh, the, the translation that you find in the NIV, that's, that's more updated language. Um, so that's, that's kind of the disconnect. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. When we pray this, we acknowledge God as the creator of heaven and earth. God created us, and God has a plan for His creation that has been at work throughout history. All right, so praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, is an act of submission of our wills to God's. Confessing His ultimate power to work His plan despite the brokenness that's at work in the world. Now, sometimes we make the mistake of praying our wills to be done, right? My kingdom come, my will be done. And then we get mad at God when they aren't. And that's why submission is important. To say, God, no matter the outcome, right? Even, even if my will is not done, even if you don't answer this prayer in the way that I hope you will, your kingdom come, your will be done. Later in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is his famous ask, seek, knock speech, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, many of this, us have interpreted this to mean that we should, without any reservations, ask God for whatever is on our hearts and expect that it be given to us, right? So, you know, ask and uh, you, will, you will receive, right? So, God, I want a new truck, and I'm going to expect you to give me a new truck. It doesn't quite work like that, all right? Um, James 4.3 says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order that you might get what you spend, or you might spend what you get on your pleasures, so sometimes we, we pray things in our own self-interest. So by saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're submitting our plans and desires to God's, admitting that our plans and desires might be wrong. And that's why it's important to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
And this makes it so much easier to deal with when God answers no or wait to our prayers. It doesn't mean that he didn't hear them. It simply means that he had something else in mind, and that's okay. God is God, and we are not. And this ability to submit to God's will for our lives, even if it means we may not always get what we want, is a point of spiritual maturity that that God is able to work through us in prayer. Praying like this requires trust, that, that God has everything under control, despite evidence that points to the contrary. Since God created everything, that means that God is in and through everything, the past, present, and the future. He holds them all in His hands. And those things are, are what the second half of the Lord's Prayer are concerned with, particularly our past, present, and future. And Jesus begins with the present. He says, give us this day our daily bread. So not only is God the creator of heaven and earth, but he is also our provider. He gives us everything we need in sufficiency to do the tasks that he places before us. This is why in the the same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us not to worry about our lives, what we will eat, drink, or wear. Praying, give us this day our daily bread, is a prayer of trust that God will provide for us in the present. And notice that Jesus didn't teach us to pray, give me this day my daily bread. You see, the problem of the world is is not that there's not enough to go around, it's just that sometimes we like to keep a little bit too much for ourselves. God's kingdom is is one of, of abundance and generosity, and that's why God calls us to be generous if we have been entrusted with abundance. That means God can use you to answer the prayer of a person who's praying for their daily bread. When God's church prays our Father, and we embrace being a a we as a church, and not simply a me as a Christian, God works through that to meet our daily needs in the present. God also forgives the sins of our past. And this is why we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So when we ask for forgiveness, God does not hold our our past sins against us, right? The slate is wiped clean. Think of it kind of like a a web browser, right? On your web browser, you got your your browsing history. And when you confess your sins to Jesus, the, the browsing history isn't necessarily cleared, right? Because our past is still our past. Our story is still our story. But now, our past is covered in the blood of Jesus, Those things are not held against us anymore, and our story becomes a story of God's power to overcome sin in our lives. Amen? So when we ask for forgiveness, God doesn't hold our past sins against us. In the same way, we should not hold the past against one another. In fact, Jesus is is so bold to go as far as to ask that, that we only be forgiven in proportion to the forgiveness that we show to others. Have you ever read the verse directly after the Lord's Prayer? Check it out. Uh, Verses 14 and 15 of chapter 6. Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Whoa. That's a pretty high standard. 
Now, maybe you're the kind of person who, who simply can't let go of the past. Okay? Maybe somebody hurt you deeply a, a long time ago, and, and you've just never been able to let it go. In this line of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is saying, just let it go. Let it go in your own heart. And maybe it's, it's not even another person. Maybe it's just yourself that you can't forgive. Maybe the things that you've done in your life have, have led you to this, this place of, of self-loathing and you can't see how God could ever love you considering the kind of person you see yourself to be. But through this prayer, Jesus reminds us that, that we can only receive in the measure that we give. We, we can't be shown grace if we don't show grace, whether that's to other people or even to ourselves. Sometimes the first step towards receiving forgiveness is showing it. Simply letting the past go. Accepting your status as God's beloved child and showing the same love God has shown you, not only to yourself, but to others in your life, even if you don't feel they deserve it. Because let's be honest, none of us deserve God's love. But in His grace, God pours out His love until our cups overflow. Which leads us to the final thing that Jesus asks. That God continue to work His love and grace in the future. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a prayer of trust that, that God has and will continue to work His grace in us. Right? We are, we're all works in progress. Anybody in here not in work in, in progress this morning? None of you? No? You're not done? Ne neither am I. Right? We're all works in progress. So temptation and evil remain very real threats to the well-being of our souls. In this line of the prayer, we're acknowledging God's power over the forces of evil at work in the world and asking Him to finish the work that He has begun in us. Because you see, God sent Jesus to deliver us from evil. The sin in our life. Not just the penalty of our sin, right? We, we talked about the web browser and it, it being, you know, all of our history being covered by the blood of Jesus and, and our story becoming God's story of redemption, right? So we're not just delivered from the penalty of our sin, but from the power of sin over our lives. All right, let me explain it this way. And I'm, I'm going to use a fancy high-tech illustration here with a dry erase board and painter's tape, Okay. So uh, we, we all hit points of decision in our lives, okay? So, like, imagine you're, you're going along in life, and you hit a, a point of decision where you can either go your way, or you can go God's way. And whatever decision you make is going to affect not only the course of your life, but your relationship with God, now, it might seem as simple as a fork in the road at the time. But if we flip our little illustration here on its side, it starts to make a whole lot more sense. Because you see, you're going along in life, and if you choose to go your way, that a lot of times seems to be the path of least resistance. You see how that's downhill? Well, see, it's a whole lot easier to go downhill than it is to climb uphill, amen? And so... So when we reach these points of decision in our lives, we have a choice. Do we take the path of least resistance and do what it is that we please? Or do we rely on God's strength 
to choose the road less traveled and do God's will for our lives. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, oh, Pastor, I have gone so far downhill, you have no idea. I have no idea at this point how I would even begin to climb back uphill. And then, not only do I have to get back uphill, but you're telling me I have to climb another hill after that? I mean, come on. So if that's you this morning, know this. It doesn't rely on your strength. And that's what it means when we pray, deliver us from temptation, deliver us from evil, and lead us not into temptation, right? When we pray for God to deliver us from evil, we are counting on the strength of Jesus to pull us out of that pit, right? That Jesus doesn't just forgive us of our sins and not, not count it against us anymore, but that he redeems our lives from the pit. It's almost like if you're stuck in the mud and you hook a winch up to your truck and have your buddy pull you out. When you're stuck beyond all hope, that's what Jesus does for us. And the only thing that we can do is rely on his grace to deliver us from evil, to deliver us from sin. Philippians 1.6 says, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we are trusting that God will deliver us from evil in this life and then ultimately free us from the forces of evil on the day of Christ's return, when evil will be defeated and God will renew this fallen creation. The end of this prayer fixes our eyes on the hope of God's future for our lives and all creation and helps us trust in that future. And really, I think that's what this prayer calls for, is simply trust. Praying this prayer works in us a heart of trust in, love for, and submission to the God who created us and the Father who loves us. The Lord's Prayer reveals to us a Father who can be trusted, a Father whose name is mighty, a Father who loves us, a Father who provides for our every need, past, present, and future and a Father who is faithfully at work in His creation to reconcile all things to Himself. And it's this Father who is worth putting all of our faith and all of our trust in. Amen? Let's pray to that God right now. Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning just in awe of Your majesty and of Your power not only in the evidence that we see in creation of your hand at work, but Lord, we come before you in awe of your power to redeem us from even the greatest of our sins. Lord, those times when we, when we take the path of, of least resistance, the path that leads us away from you, and, and we don't see how we could possibly turn our life back around and climb back up that hill towards you, Lord, it's in those times when we rely on your grace and your grace alone, the strength of your Son, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from that evil, to pull us up out of that pit. So Lord, I just pray for, for anyone here this morning who finds themselves in that place. Lord, would they know not only your love for them, but would they come to experience for themselves the grace of Jesus that is able to deliver them 
from the slavery of sin. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us the faith to place our trust in you every day. That when we pray this Lord's Prayer, Lord, that we would think about each phrase and its meaning for our lives. That we wouldn't simply take it for granted. That we wouldn't just have it be a a rote thing that we just recite without thinking. But Lord, that we would mean every word when we pray it. And that it would draw us closer to your heart. So we pray this all in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.